thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Connor Fowler. And I'm Matt Smith. And you are now listening to Apocalypse Duds, a guerrilla clothing show about how we counter and endure capitalism's grip in these turbulent times. Today we are joined by Peter Totley, at Peter Totley, tattooer at Don Pietro Tattoo, hashtag suburban dad, plaid proponent, tweed enthusiast, soprano superfan, Zen master. How are you doing today, Peter? Oh, cheers. I'm doing great. Doing great. Yeah. How's the weather? We're happy to have you on right the show. Now. Yeah, man. Great to be here. Stoked to uh, stoked to be chatting with you. And how Baltimore as a Baltimore head, do you get the brash tweed impertinence? Uh, the brash uh, tweed impertinence line is that from, from the, the wire? wire? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's <laughs> when the guy tells uh, uh, Beatty that they work plain clothes. <laughs> and you can go for the uh, stripe loyally uh, affectations of Mr. Moreland or the brash tweed impertinence nice. of uh, Lester Freeman. Nice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, and here's an insane thing. Here's an insane thing. Listen, I lived in Clark Peters' house in Baltimore. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So it was crazy. Uh, my partner at the time was working for the Mark Steiner show, which is a large public radio show here in Baltimore. And, um, he knew, uh, Clark Peters very well. And Clark, for whatever reason, allowed us to live in this house. And that was the house that they all lived in. So I had Sonia Sohn's bed. She just had left it in the house. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there was all this artwork that they had done down there, you know, just like getting wasted and shooting a show and then like coming Mm -hmm. home and getting wasted some more and making artwork. So yeah, that's a weird Baltimore fact about myself. 3005 North Howard Street. Wow. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Blasphemous. I feel absolutely dunked on. (laughs) No, no, I don't mean to dunk on you. I don't mean to dunk. I just mean to say, here is this information. Yeah. That's great. As also a Wire Super fan, that's like too much for me. You know what's funny is... I recently watched it. I've never seen it, and I've never seen The Sopranos. So I'm the blasphemous one here. I know, I know. I'm jealous. I'm jealous of you. (laughs) Dude, a little bit. (laughs) I just end up watching the same six things over and over again because I'm a creature of habit in that. You know, The Sopranos are definitely... Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like I've been told a thousand times, oh, you need to watch this show, and I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it eventually, and that eventually is. I'm gonna get him. to resist. I feel like you know somebody's like, you have to watch this, and then the natural thing is, you're like, well, oh, do I? Is that yeah. what you think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like it, it's kind of like when someone recommends a band, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. like yeah, they they sound like so and so, and you're like. Yeah. Cool. I'll just listen to so and so instead of listening to, to this yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, the b- both shows seem so up my alley too because I love that yeah. shit. But I've just never, yeah. never done it. I don't know. Yeah. Connor's gonna kill me I'm if I don't watch mad. The Sopranos. Yeah. I'm gonna get mad to watch The Sopranos. I'm gonna get yeah. mad to watch The Sopranos. Um, it's, a, it's an institution, man. It's a. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, I mean. Uh, I I love James Gandolfini and other stuff, and I know that like that's, oh, that's you know that's even that's like a wild thing to say. Like I, I know. haven't watched this 
love Gandolfini and everything he's done. <laughs> yeah, in the in the handful of things that I've seen him in, but for whatever reason, I don't know. I just you know, it, I don't know. It's kind of like uh, I was talking to some friends uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they were just watching Mad Men for the first time. And oh, yeah. which, like, that's a show that I can watch basically anytime. You know, like Man, I, I can't get which is another another Matthew Weiner production where he's oh. like the waiter i can't like get past that scene i'm like this show is killing me man <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean it's a return to a bad time for like non-white people yeah is that what it is maybe i, I think well so. it's like i'm pretty sure there's like uh, you can count the black characters on yeah, your hand right? you know what's crazy um, is I, feel like I can watch stuff like that when there's no black people in it but then you put a black person in, and I'm like, this is not, I'm not watching this. <laughs> you know, like I yeah. can watch Downton Abbey, and I'm like, this mm -hmm. is crazy. There's <laughs> not even black people on this planet, essentially, until like the fourth se fourth season or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, I I can watch that, but yeah, Mad Men, five minutes. I was like, I don't, this dynamic, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> and also, I feel like that's a period of clothing I don't really connect to me as much either that kind of like 50s 60s you know like a 60s style i would be more i'd be more like looking at like counterculture style as like something cool yeah versus yeah like, when i when i go on yeah i'm not gonna be like oh look at that like you know quintessential like office man who's like you know abusing women and like mistreating the world I'm not like I'm not like checking his style necessarily. <laughs> like, oh, dope. Yeah, Especially well, and it's in 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 retrospect, like it's fucked up. That's when I came up. Yeah, in the the like menswear scene was Mad Men. Like that was the entire right. time in uh -huh. 2010, 2009, what have you, and I mean, like it was a glorification of alcoholism in a yeah. in a bad way like of course the story of don draper is one of an alcoholic who has a sort of descent um yeah. but it's everyone as always you know took the wrong took message the wrong from it yeah yeah and i, I just mean, that's, think that that's, that's always like the kind of the danger hey. double what are the sopranos <laughs> Like, what parts are you enjoying this? Why are you enjoying this part? <laughs> right. They're not but like yeah. idols. They are ca they are cautionary tale. Yeah. I. You know, it's interesting because I think that that is kind of around when I kind of got into maybe dressing more in that stuff, in this style. But I was I was so turned off by Mad Men that I kind of was never in. I could never get into that aspect of it, you know? So you got like, started around, you got so, sort of started around then too, because this basically leads into the questioning here. Um, yeah. You know, it's hard to say. I can say that I have kind of always been a person who was interested in outfits people wear, you know, for, mm -hmm. for certain. In clothes that I wear, you know, definitely. It definitely took different shapes over the years, you know. Oh, yeah. Depending on what, like, kind of youth counterculture you're into at that so moment. like what were you wearing when you were when you were growing up what were you wearing uh like growing up like as a little kid i you know i think when you look at pictures a little to big kind of very very preppy you know because mm -hmm. <laughs> i think that was kind of like my dad's style 
you know like there's pictures of me just like in a polo shirt and like literally like saddle shoes and like corduroy shorts nice and, like, nice <laughs> <laughs> it's a great outfit like, i would wear that i would wear that today and, and it fits right, with your you know? new england upbringing so you know yeah you know even though my dad was from philadelphia okay but he was kind of like he was kind of like ran ahead of the times type guy like my dad like um went to i forget what the art school is uh that's like maybe not you know i don't want to say the wrong one he went to art school in pennsylvania in like the 60s he got uh some kind of scholarship where he went overseas to europe and like traveled all around and like wow. you know was yeah was like riding that's a big deal in the 1960s i guess it's a big deal anytime yeah anytime in the 1960s yeah and like i can remember my uh my godfather his best friend talking about how when he came back he rode vespa around philadelphia and he had a (laughs) sweater that he got in ireland that he would put on in like the dead of winter and zip around philadelphia on this vespa and that was kind of like the image of my father you know my father passed away when i was really young oh shit and so there's all these stories of this you know his kind of cool cool exploits you know i think that is a big influence on my style in general um in him dressing me when i was young you know he came from a family of like real like clothes horses I can remember his yeah. aunt, aunt when we would go to Philadelphia. She would take us to oh my god, uh, a department store called Wanamaker's, and like you know, she'd buy us like overcoats when we were like you know, <laughs> years old. Something that's gonna fit you for like six months, you know. But I can remember yeah. having like a long wool overcoat and like you know, navy blazer, gray trousers. <laughs> you know, again, stuff I own today. Right. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It, it all comes back, I think. Like, you know. Yeah. It, it, so I think that that comes on both of both sides of my family. Kind of close horses. Like my, I still have a pair of like wool pants that was like my grandfather's that my mom wore for like 20 years and then like gave to me. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, everybody on both sides of my family is kind of freaks like that about clothes that they're that's hella cool man it's a good way to be yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah that was a, that was a great yeah that's a great uh bit of information really yeah so yeah so i think that's really formative to me like that kind of it comes from my family really an interest in like clothes and like an interest in clothes made of good material and an interest in clothes that you're gonna buy and you're gonna have and you're gonna it's always funny how that shows up later too yeah, and they're both like that on both sides about everything, you know. Like I have pieces of furniture in my house right now that were from my grandparents on both sides, you know, just antiques yeah. that are like, passed through the family. Um, yeah. So that's how. And was know. there a pri- like a prioritization on production too? What do you mean production? So like where something comes from? Uh, that comes from my mom. Oh my god. You know, uh-huh. that's my mom's generation. My mom's like a real like uh super sixties artist hippie type person. Like I Hell yeah. I like I always I always joke that I get like uh like anxiety from the smell of like a of a uh health food store. <laughs> and, like, the smell of like and, like wood and stuff. It makes me like Yeah. I gotta eat like a, a Twinkie after that or a Swiss roll or something. Um <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, my mom is definitely on that ethical consumption side. That's kind of 
I guess another, even another aspect of the way I dress, because I kind of tend to, if I can, get things secondhand, you know. I will buy new stuff, and I do buy fucking lux, luxury goods here and there, but, you know, yeah. it's all done. It is based on production, where it's made, how it's made. Um, yeah, how long it's going to last, really. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's... Um for me has been a like there's this idea i can't remember who wrote the the tyranny of the boot you familiar with this it's like an early socialist text i think that's what it's called um but the point being like poor people are forced to buy like boot a shitty boot after year after yeah. year after year after year after year and like a wealthy person can buy a pair of boots that literally is going to last them for their entire life and exactly. to boot haha they have more than one pair of shoes yeah so exactly. it really comes it really comes to it it comes back to the old chestnut of capitalism yeah um, it's expensive to be poor oh yeah it definitely <laughs> yeah is. And, you know, even yeah. even with like secondhand shopping now, too, um, in, in the modern yeah. time, like, you know, thrift stores are taxing like, you know, 30, 40 bucks on something that. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, like it, it's wild. You know, like I, I sell vintage clothing as my business. And, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. it's like you, you always hear the argument of like, oh, you're taking stuff out of poor people's, you know, mouths or whatever. And it's like. No, like literally they can't afford to buy this shit because it's $40 and they could go to Walmart and get yeah, it for 10 yeah. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of weird. Yeah, somehow in the last like five years, like vintage and like thrift stores, it's like not thrift stores so much, I guess, but like vintage has become luxury. Right. Right, you know, certainly. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's certain things that have always been expensive, but like, you know, oh, I think so. sell, it's like, oh yeah, like this this thing that there were millions of made, like you know, a T-shirt for example that I might sell for twenty bucks. It's like some store yeah. in L.A. or New York is selling it for like seventy or eighty, and it's like, yo, that's not like yeah. that. Kind of defeats the point yeah. to me in a lot of ways, like. You know, it, but then again, now we have a uh, like this. Oh God, I'm gonna sound so old. A generation of people who think that's fucking all right. Good. They're just like, oh yeah, yeah, fucking venture from like. But it's not even that old, you know. It's like from like the fucking nineties. Oh yeah, and they're like, it's like seventy dollars. I'm like, I fucking might have that, right, dude? <laughs> I mean. If I could go back in time and buy all the five dollar clearance oh, shit at Hot Topic and like media play and sam oh goody and shit when God. i was growing up like i'd be a millionaire you know like oh cool bunch of heart-shaped box nirvana t-shirts for I was, like, I was like trying to collect things you know like maybe like people were at that time when i was like a teenager it seemed like uh comic books and action figures you were gonna like you know it was that was like bitcoin back right then, you yeah know? <laughs> yeah i mean i did sports cards which are worth like, nothing yeah, I'm gonna, like, show how fucking old i am but there was like the beginning of like mirage studios i think is what it was called and it was like these superhero comics and they were just selling 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 and it was like oh these are going to be worth something these are going to be worth something and all these action figures that went around like the mcfarland stuff like the spawn and that kind yeah of right stuff. yeah it, mm -hmm. 
it's gonna be worth money like i knew guys that were like had boxes cases of these action figures and shit and i was like damn am i fucking stupid (laughs) but no shit you know it's just like that cycle didn't fucking turn out to be worth oh dude yeah but like the shirt that i was wearing when i was watching when i was looking at that box of fucking clothes that i like used to like clean a car and like left at an apartment somewhere in boston is like worth like seventy dollars now (laughs) yeah yeah i've got like a hundred thousand baseball cards in the closet of my parents house that aren't worth the paper they're printed on at this point just like okay cool is it like or something right (laughs) uh yeah so peter where uh what part of rhode island did you grow up in I grew up in southern Rhode Island, so almost in Connecticut. Okay. Um, in I'm pulling really, up a map. Kind of rural, really properly rural community at that gotcha. time when I grew up there. It's a little little less uh, backwater now, but it, I mean, I don't know. I think people still are proudly backwater down there. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm from yeah. the same kind of town, so I get it. Okay, yeah, there's keep it country yeah and you you just mentioned boston did you live there for a while too yeah i lived in boston from when i was about 19 till i was maybe like uh 25 or 26 okay nice what what part of boston i lived in alston oh hell yeah which is yeah yeah i've always enjoyed that yeah as it's called um but yeah kind of like on the boston university bc kind of campus kind of area nice did you eat a lot of spikes hot dogs oh <laughs> uh, no i spikes you know what's weird is i as a rhode island is that I, the I, vegan hot dog place a rhode island thing oh yeah it is a rhode um, island thing too i always forget about that yeah i i almost didn't even think of it as a boston thing now we were eating a lot of i don't know thai food at that time i uh, got you yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, nothing wrong with that. Every time I went to, yeah, no. like, I, when I was in bands and we'd play Boston, you know, stay in, like, Alston or, like, Jamaica Point or something. Okay. Like, Spikes was always yeah. just one of those spots where we had to, had to hit. Okay, yeah, it's right. That's the neighborhood I grew up in, right on that. Street. Oh, hell yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. And you played in bands that toured through Boston, like, what time? Um, what like, 2000, I was in a couple of bands that played up there, like, 2006 to 9, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, yeah, we played Haverhill a lot, too. And I still knocking around the streets at that time. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, I, I would imagine if you, since you were into hardcore, like, we probably know some of the same people at some point, like, you know. Yeah, really? And you're from where? I'm from Atlanta. Okay, Atlanta. Yeah, my uh I yeah, see, made it that far in hardcore myself. Um I think I I tour managed a a indie rock band and we toured the south at one time. Oh, how, what band was it? Um, it was a band called The Beatings. Um and yeah, we played a show in Marietta. They oh, at uh, at Swayze's. Do you remember the venue? Oh god the club you know what i do remember from that though that was like that was really amazing there was a fucking barber shop i would been on tour like from like california through like texas arizona fucking all through the south we're like coming up through marietta georgia and my hair was just like out of control <laughs> and like next to the there was a a barber shop called furious styles oh furious yeah styles is 
father in uh, Boys in the Hood, the Larry Fishburne character. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm nearly I'm positive in my head, this motherfucker. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> That's awesome. And I remember that the so this band I was touring with. I'm the only black person in this van, right, touring through the South. Um, and the drummer from the band goes into this black barbershop with me and he sits down, he's going to get a haircut, but it's just taking forever. You know, we're like in there 30 minutes, we're in there 40 minutes, it's like an hour. He's like, I can't do it. I got to go. And they're, but at one point they're like asking him about the band and they're like, what's it called? And he's like the beatings. And like, you've never seen like a room full of like seven black men, like recoil so hard all in use. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God. You don't like this. Here and he's like, well, it's more like the beatings of a heart, you know. Like <laughs> at that point, there's no recovering from this shit. Years, man. Oh my god, I'll never forget that as long as <laughs> that's a hell of a story. Oh, I bet, dude. Fantastic. What, what was the venue in like a little strip mall kind of thing? I think it, it was. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a venue called Swayze's. I don't know if it's still around, but like it was. Um, yeah, that was that was one of the like when the when the scene quote unquote was outside the you know outside the city in the suburbs. That was like yeah. one of the best venues that yeah. everybody played. Oh wow, that's so funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw a lot of venues both on that tour. Yeah. Amazing things. Oh, happened. I bet and, dude. At the, on that tour. Oh, one more story from that tour, all right? Because <laughs> we're oh, hit, talking about hit it, dude. I love this shit. The the beatings are like playing this show, right? At the I oh god, I can't remember where we're. I feel like we were in like Kentucky or something. But anywhere we're like playing this, they're playing this show, and like one person leaves, like right out of the bar. It's not like a super huge room. They're playing another song. Like five people leave, ten people leave, like. 30 people leave the bartender at one point <laughs> they're the they're playing on the stage i'm sitting in the crowd with like two people the bartender looks at them folds up like the side of the bar like he's gonna run out and he's like they're blowing up the bridge and he runs out the fucking bar what the bar under the street and a fucking demolition happens they blow up some bridge like in the middle of downtown on like a like a saturday night there's like hundreds in the street there's this huge explosion kind of like calamity people screaming and stuff everybody comes back in the bar and they're like start again start again and they start the set (laughs) holy shit (laughs) and it was like the livest show after yeah that's absolutely (laughs) ridiculous blow up you know they're fucking ready to party yeah oh absolutely man all right, so back to clues in uh, politics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I mean, it's it's all interconnected, you know? Okay, okay. Yeah, like, uh, you know. But, yeah, I grew up in the hardcore scene kind of here in, in Rhode Island was, at the time, in the, what, 1995 or something? Oh, shit. It was fucking real strong. Um, I can remember when I was in middle school, you know, there's kind of like an awkward transition to high school. Like, you're friends with certain people in middle school. And you switch to high school and like suddenly you don't know anybody, but it's all the same people in your school. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. this kid, Tim, I can remember him literally coming up to me in the hall and like basically seizing me by the arm, like seeing my confusion at this social dynamic change and being like, you're going to hang out with us. And I was like, what? And it was like, 
hardcore kids. Oh, fuck yeah. And that was it. Like, it was like that weekend. They took me to like my first show. It was this band Chokehold's last show. Oh, fuck. And from like somewhere in Canada. Yeah. Chokehold's one of my favorite um, bands. So. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. That was the first show I ever went to, man. That was the first time oh, I was ever God. at a hardcore show. It was at this thing called the New Bedford Fest. Yeah. My yeah. aunt ran the day where they held that show. Um, it was a in a two story gymnasium, so like the the show was like on the fl- the basketball court, but there was people as Chokehold was playing, launching themselves from the fucking balcony above <laughs> the basketball court. <laughs> crowd. I I'd like never seen like anything fucking like this in my life. I was like, what the fuck is going? I I'd never seen people like mosh. You know, right. I can remember this. <laughs> around with like his hand on top of his head like he was kind of like a cross between like a punk rocker with like liberty spice and like a rooster oh yeah and just kind of like scanning around (laughs) as like guys are like throwing fists you know like like it looks like they're trying to knock people out it's like karate kicks and fucking i i never seen anything like i was like this is nuts yeah i think i'd like it yeah and that was kind of it like straight edge hardcore kid i remember that day i bought a t-shirt that was like a big giant extra large white t-shirt and on the front it said straight edge and it had a picture of like a hand and like the vulcan like uh oh, vulcan like <laughs> right x on it on the back and it said live like straight edge live long and prosper nice i've never wow a piece of clothing still so bad in my fucking life. That was the first hardcore teacher I ever bought. I wish I fucking. Oh, I bet. Oh man. my god. Are you, are you still? <laughs> are you still Edge? Also. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I made it. Ten. It'd be tough to work in the weed in the weed field. I mean, dude. <laughs> I've known plenty of straight edge bartenders and otherwise, so you never know. You know. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I know a bunch no, of sober bartenders. So straight edge got me through high school. Yeah. Um, I made it like yeah. ten years, like fifteen to twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. I mean, it was kind of a perfect thing. You know, it's like you look back. I'm like, would I have lived through high school if I wasn't straight? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I was, who were against drugs and alcohol, but we were doing fucking crazier shit than fucking anyone. And our parents were like, because they knew we were not drinking and doing drugs, they were like, "Oh, it must be fun." Yeah. Sounds but sounds about right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we were like driving around like Greater New England, you know, like to shows at like leaving at like one o'clock in the morning from some show, coming back, going to high school the fucking next day. Oh, dude, yeah, absolutely. Or or, like me and my friends were shooting fucking fireworks at each other and shit, and it's like, oh, cool. We're (laughs) not drinking, but we might blow each other up. So uh, it's not a good (laughs) idea. Yeah. So yeah, I think Peter, you're a little older than I am. I'm I'm 38 and kind of like started going to shows. I don't know a few years after like '95 or whatever. But um, okay, ha- how did the kind of like coming up in the scene and the and the whole straight edge like vibe, for lack of a better word, like how did that start to did or I guess a better way to put it, did you kind of feel like that was informing, you know, your opinion of like dressing and and style or is i still think i kind of had the same seeds of style through that period still because yeah. you can look 
and I'll have like a I'll be like in like you know like because it was like big jeans and like running sneakers and uh what kind of running sneakers belt belt kind of thing was like very important and then like you know I had like some kind of hardcore t-shirt but I was also you know have like a rugby shirt on still right you know yeah <laughs> crew neck sweater still it was like there's always like a vein yeah <laughs> like same thing running through there but yeah it's and interesting that's punk, right yeah yeah i think to and, incorporate like ivy style shit into a punk outfit like that is a punk action oh yeah i think so it's kind of like more punk right like that's uh yeah i would say so yeah, it's I, like uh, i would agree entirely. wearing a tie wearing a tie Back yeah all that kind of stuff and the most punk guy is the guy who's like in a, like a polo shirt and like <laughs> right yeah right i mean dude, like, kind of like look at the clash you know like that like yeah, yeah exactly. dudes like that or even like the two-tone ska shit like you know skinny black tie yeah. you know like plaid blazer and chucks or whatever it's like oh yeah like i think i like i kind of tightened up a little more when i was like when i was living in boston um I started uh, DJing like soul and like uh, reggae. Oh hell yeah! Um, I got into the dance hall for a few years. We were like, you know, every every weekend at some kind of like heavy Jamaican dance hall show, um, uh, like reggae show kind of thing. And I was I would DJ maybe like a skinhead night here and there, and I would DJ the soul night here and there. And I got really heavy into that style, and that kind of that was where really my I got a little more like maturely tuned into like like okay I'm not gonna dress like a complete slob like all the fucking time right but which what's interesting though is what's interesting <laughs> is I started to kind of tighten it up then but then I got into rock climbing and <laughs> I got really into like backcountry hiking and like rock climbing like super hardcore like we were like very serious into rock climbing we were like we got to the point where it was like either we had to like quit our jobs and like get a van and like move to yosemite or we kind of had to like move on right yeah yeah i was gonna ask like what does that look like what does being very serious about rock climbing look like but i think that's a good answer it was like i was always in like Oh, like jeans i still but i would almost always uh climb in like a pair of khakis (laughs) oh my god kind of like yeah. very preppy. but that's yeah, the thing with uh, with uh with rock climbing is it's kind of like it's very like preppy adjacent because people that have the time to do something as luxurious as rock climbing you know come from some some means right you know? yeah because the rock oh, yeah. Climbing is is you know maybe bouldering you could just kind of like start thrashing around anywhere you could find a rock but Rock climbing is like gear intensive and like skill intensive. You gotta spend some fucking time. And so yeah. when we would go rock climbing in and around Boston, it was all like people from like MIT and fucking Harvard that we would run into. Well, we were like really outliers because we were just like two guys that like worked in Boston. Right. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, if you go to MIT, we'd be like, nah, <laughs> I work down the street. <laughs> 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 I mean, I feel like the khaki but, thing kind of plays into like the OG, you know, Patagonia, like seventies mountaineering kind of shit yeah, too. Oh yeah, well that's the thing is like people it is 
Yeah, and it's interesting because right because those people who first rock climbed were just rock climbing in their clothes right. that they had. Yeah, there was nothing made for that. Yeah, it was it was utilitarian. Okay, these khakis will kind are kind of old. I'll wear that. This sweater will keep me warm. And you look back at old pictures of rock climbers and they look fucking. Dirty. Oh yeah, hell yeah! But it's just <laughs> they were just kind of piling on clothes until they were like protected and warm enough or cool enough, right? And it worked out. But when I started uh, my tattoo apprenticeship, I moved to. I was like living in Boston at the time. I like started getting tattooed a lot. Um, a friend of mine tattooed, but he lived in Kansas City, Missouri, which I'd, I'd really never like set foot in before. I went out there and got tattooed by him like maybe like once or twice and like met the people at that shop. And I was like kind of like just like kind of mesmerized by tattooing at that point. I, like, I was like, holy fuck. I was like, these guys just fucking hang out and fucking draw and fucking they're living they're, they're thriving you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is the secret here and uh again i was like getting tattooed a lot and like i remember like calling my friend andrew and i was like talking to him about tattooing and he was like well you're not gonna learn to tattoo in boston and i was like huh and i like called him back like a couple weeks later i was like i'm moving to kansas city and he was like oh i guess you're gonna learn to tattoo yeah. <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> and then i so i moved to kansas city i'm like like apprenticing uh at this tattoo shop i mean i think i like lived there for like a year first where they were just like to be a tattoo apprentice you know the owner of the shop was like you have to work as a have you ever worked as a server in a restaurant and i was like no he was like to be a tattooer you have to work as a server in a restaurant for like at least a year before i can even like consider giving you this job you gotta learn how to work with people work with people you don't fucking aren't working that aren't working with you energetically you gotta fucking learn how to serve people you know so i was working at a restaurant for like a year and in that time i was still that was toward the end of when i was uh we didn't even hit the trim scene shit yet so this is <laughs> kind of toward the tail end of that and uh I remember my friend Andrew saying offhand to somebody else, like, you know, Peter's cool. He kind of dresses like he's always about to go camping. (laughs) (laughs) Huh. And that was the fucking, that was like the moment, the like impetus to where I don't ever go into the tattoo shop basically without a shirt with buttons on it. Like low level, maybe like a polo, like a, a tennis shirt. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, I'm I'm like a black dude. I'm starting to get a lot of fucking tattoos. Um, I have dreadlocks. Uh, I smoke a lot. I smell like weed all the time. Working for me here. <laughs> so I, like, I just dress like super preppy, like somebody's dad, some New England dad, and then. I at least have some sort of plausible deniability for fucking something, right? You know, <laughs> that's uh, and that's your that's your Instagram hashtag, right? Suburban dad hashtag suburban yeah, dad. Yeah. And now you and now you literally are the suburban ever, dad. I was a suburban dad, you know, and people used to make fun of me. Not make fun of me. I don't know. Not fully make fun of me, but they'd be like, "Oh, you dress like a dad. You dress like dorky, like a dad." And I was like, "Yeah, that's the whole point, right?" 
And now that I am in, I just like, you know, I'm just in my natural state. <laughs> yeah. It, it all came full circle in some weird way. Right? Yeah. It all works. I mean, it's so funny so to you say. Go on. Oh, I, I was just going to say, it's really funny, like, you know, to think about what you just said about you always wearing like a button up shirt or like a collared shirt of some sort, because, you know, tattooing historically was like, you know, really gruff fucking, you know, meathead kind of looking people. And you're like, OK, yeah. I'm going to take this and turn it on its head. Like, I'm going to, you know, I want to look yes. respectable and to like, you know set myself apart a little bit it, whether consciously or not yeah. and it's like oh man that's rad is it's like if you look back that's like tattooing you know from like 60s to the 90s right you right know? but before that it was just like tattooers were just some guy you know and they just dressed like like whatever right you know like like normal guy so when you look at tattooers before like the 1960s, before like really like that kind of biker culture kind right, of yeah. element came, they're just like a guy in like suspenders and like a shirt with buttons and that, yeah. <laughs> rolled up sleeves. So, you, oh, that guy has tattoos. Yeah, they they just kind of looked <laughs> like they just you know came off a sailor, like a naval ship or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like kind of I feel like that that kind of the kind of like this is what a tattooer looks like kind of in general kind of thing is like kind of you know 60s 70s, right yeah yeah 90s. i mean not that it's not true but uh yeah yeah i know it's it's interesting you know and then style and tattooing is such a fucking bizarre thing too you know it's like you gotta wear like it's just like basically just a legion of dudes in black t-shirts you know yep <laughs> <laughs> and yeah that's also kind of why i dress the way i do is it's like it's such a i don't know it's so homogenous tattooing in a way um you know it's like an industry where it's like there's more like women tattooing than like you know black dudes you know right oh, totally. <laughs> yeah right you know i mean uh so it's an interesting thing and then it is so like there's like one style it's kind of like everybody's kind of dressed like a giant 12 year old you know on some level um and so i couldn't really get with that either you know I was like that can't be me like you know <laughs> i'm not trying to <coughs> i don't know wear shorts past my knees to work right yeah um <laughs> i don't even wear shorts to work if i can avoid it um but yeah, I don't know. That's an that but that's just the inherent punk rock resistant fucking oh, totally. whole child in me <laughs> in any situation. I'm like, oh you guys dress like this? Well wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna ask about your tattooing style. Uh-huh. Um because we looked at the page before um, the interview and we were both extremely impressed so mm-hmm. i was wondering how you came to that you said you were drawing as a young person yeah artist parents um yeah. but i'm wondering how you kind of came into it yourself um i uh like i said i was getting tattooed a lot i used to work in kind of in film production in the boston area and like i just 
I just was like, oh, in 15 years, am I going to like want to wake up at six o'clock in the morning to be on set somewhere or like work in this warehouse? And I was like, it can't be me. I don't know if I was right in retrospect. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We we all make those choices. (laughs) Yeah, but that's how I got into tattooing. And as far as developing a style as a tattooer, you know, if from my perspective, I'm like, I don't think I do have a style. Jesus. Um, (laughs) I think it just comes from the people that I learned to tattoo from, you know, there was Mm -hmm. a guy, uh, scott that i worked with that's just like kind of like the ultimate american traditionalist like you know he can kind of bake anything down to its like most basic needed form and just like make this beautiful tattoo out of it um the guy andrew who got me into tattooing he's kind of like toward that american traditional style but with like a kind of wilder style and like a lot of like more detail to it uh, I worked for a guy in Providence for a long time, a really talented tattooer, Dennis, who just is like kind of a master of like line work, like super fine line work and just like black and mm-hmm. white. This doesn't ever do a tattoo in color. And it's mainly just a texture of lines. There's like shading a little bit and mostly black and huge influence wow. on me. Um, mainly, and these are all people who just kind of like, had like well, not so much scott but just had like unreasonable demands of me in a good way yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah and so you just become like self-conscious and maybe that becomes like a style because you do the same thing over and over and it is okay looking and people like it and that kind of becomes a style i don't know <laughs> yeah so you- yeah no that's a good that's a good answer that's what well anyway yeah yeah, I think that's also something uh, Dennis that I used to work for would say. He would say, hey, if you make the same mistake over and over again and it looks good, then that's your style. Interesting. <laughs> so, it, just out of curiosity, Peter, how many shops have you worked for? Like, it, since you... Many. I think for a tattooer, I worked at the Mercy Seat in Kansas City. I worked for a shop in Ukiah, California. I and then I worked for Providence Tattoo in Providence, and now I work at Anchor Steam in Newport. So only four. Damn, that's awesome. Which is exceptionally short list, I think, for a tattooer. On yeah, yeah, that that was something that Connor and I had talked about. Is like you know, I feel like most tattoo artists uh, take a while to like find their home. And it's like, oh, you know, yeah. they'll bounce around to a shop for a year or two and, and go to another one. But that's that's gnarly. You like yeah. kind of found that so quick. Yeah. You know, the first shop I worked at was kind of like a real like, I mean, they brought me into it. You know, That's like the family. Yeah, you know? totally. Um, uh, yeah. And then the first shop was just kind of like, what do you call that? Is that your journeyman phase? You know, your first job. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And uh and then Providence is really where I like kinda had to like, you know, get it together and become a real tattooer or it wasn't gonna work. And uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so I was gonna shift to the next uh bit of this here and I was going to ask you about Hunter Thompson a mutual uh person that no, that we share so interesting and I was, 
pointed that out because I wouldn't even say that that was like a style uh, uh, influence. But when I look at it, I'm like, fuck, you know what? <laughs> yeah, like, that's what basically my whole fucking personality. I looked at your fits and I was like, oh, there it is, right there. <laughs> and then you, you post. For Black on YouTube, I get it. <laughs> to our listeners, Peter has posted this uh, Thompson quote every New Year's Eve. <laughs> uh, for for some years running now, I'm gonna pull the quote just so that just so that everyone can know what we're talking about here. Hunter Thompson, journalist. The police determine who whoops it up on New Year's Eve '99 and who doesn't. Law enforcement wisdom anticipates chaos, curfews, and riots. Criminals will run amok. Misinformed SWAT teams will attack the guilty and innocent alike. Professional advice says stay home, lock doors, douse lights, don't answer the phone. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> right? Real poetry. Real poetry. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what's funny is Hunter Thompson is totally a real style influence. Because I, I think I – so two things. When I went to the second college I went to, I went to Montserrat College of Art at first. And mm-hmm. I – uh, transferred to University of Connecticut, and I had a professor, Shane Teeter. Uh, God bless him. He's probably the reason for all my fucking problems. Um, <laughs> best way possible. Best professor you could have. Uh, we 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 had like like four texts I can rem- uh, that we used in class. I can remember the the death of Superman comic book. Oh no no wait. The Killing Joke? No, no, it was... Yeah, the... No, 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 wait. What's the Frank Miller Batman? Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Uh, the Frank yeah. Miller Batman. It's a Dark Knight. So we read that. Darkness on the Edge of Town, the Springsteen album. Mm-hmm. Solid. Um, uh, and the, I guess I can only come up with three. Black Elk Speaks was like the third one. So I read Black Elk Speaks, and in that, it's, like, the story of this, like, young Native American kind of coming up during, like, sort of, like, uh, maybe, like, uh, I mean, really in the heat of maybe, like, the, like, Trail of Tears kind of period, just, like, brutalization Mm -hmm. of Native Americans. But it's also him coming up in, like, this spirituality. So it's a lot about, like, having visions and, like, sweat lodges and stuff, and that kind of thing captured my mind, right? So I remembered I read Siddhartha and then I had to write a, I wrote a paper for that class about that. And I kind of got into like kind of Eastern spirituality, like real hard. That's when I got a little more into meditation and stuff. I got into Thich Nhat Hanh, yeah. and I really fucking, what do you say? Turned on, tuned in and fucking dropped out. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, at some point saw Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And I was like, what the fuck? And then I read like what a fear and loathing on the campaign trail. And yeah, like I just got like deep into Hunter Thompson. I was like, what? And then again, I noticed like he was like this guy who was just doing like the gnarliest shit, but he was dressed in like the most like innocuous way. You know, just looked like some like blue blood from fucking where? Right. Well, he was a prep too. Yeah, like like you know the. Right, like the short shorts, the minimal sneakers, the kind of preppy army man. He's going hunting. Maybe he's going fishing. He's going to the country club. Yeah, 
and like really about it you know really living that life but at the same time really being like about some different politics oh totally because <laughs> you know you know newman street right newman What's street that? vintage yeah 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 he just got that hunter coat which oh, is really? like something that i didn't i mean i knew that it existed i didn't know like having seen it on him in pictures i didn't know that it was a consumer good oh i didn't know that yeah it was made by abercrombie he, and has Fitch. One. he just got one. Oh wow yeah, isn't that insane? Yeah, that's I thought that thing was fucking custom. Yeah, me too. Nah, dude, they they were selling that shit in the like in the sixties and early seventies. You know, when they were still a safari oh. outfitter. Like, yeah, it's kind of wild just to like yeah. think about that. That that was a good that was sold on a mass scale. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. You said they cost like four G's, Matt. Uh yeah. I would I would assume somewhere between three and four retail at this point. <laughs> like now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure it was like twenty five dollars or something back in the day. It it was you know, it was probably all made of scraps. It's also hilarious to me yeah. that like Hunter, yeah that Hunter S. Thompson is the like poster child for that exact jacket. When it's like, oh, he was yeah. just you know. He was just a dude that that had his own thing and like did whatever the fuck he wanted to do, like no real rhyme or reason. Yeah, yeah, but definitely, definitely, like that that idea of like looking super traditional and super. Oh, it's super cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, him hanging out with well, the hell's allows angels. you. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you know, exactly. Wearing this kind I of mean, shit, it sort of allows you to get away with stuff. Totally, it does. You know? Like that's the credibility, you know. Like I think of like the 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 things I've like the places I've been, man, and the <laughs> situations I've been in, and I'm like, wow, I wonder if that would have like popped off like that if I wasn't in that shirt, you know? right? <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah. So you told us you traveled yeah, a good bit, that, right? Like kind of out of the country yeah, and yeah how do you feel um, like you know your experiences which like I, i'd love to hear a few of the places and and whatnot but like how you know how did seeing other places and cultures uh, and things kind of inform your both your style and like your you know political attitude um and just kind of personal journey Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. So I would say there's two, like two trips that do both of, do one of those things, maybe both of those things. So when I was like, uh, like twenty, I lived still in Boston. I lived at the Zen Temple, and one of the other resident students at the Zen Temple was from India, and I moved in in say like November, in like December we were already like fast friends this dude Bala. he's like still one of my closest friends like in the world he lives in india now oh, shit. like had to move um but we had been friends for like maybe like a month and he was like i'm going back to india in january you should come and i was like what <laughs> i never <laughs> that i should go to india but i was like i can remember going home for christmas and like being like to my parents i was like i met this dude from india and he's like you should come. I'm going to like visit my family. You should come to India. He like lives at the Zen temple. I was like, should I do it? And my parents were like, yeah, I think you probably should. Like, this is kind of like probably like a once in a lifetime thing. Like, you know, somebody from India. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not you know somebody from India. 
could probably take a chance if you want to do it. Like, we'll like help you do it. Like, go do it, you know? And so, yeah, I like had to get like a visa. I remember I had to, it was like such short notice. I had to go to New York to the Indian co- Indian consulate to like get my visas in person and like come back to Boston. And yeah, I went to India for like a month when I was, uh, yeah, 20. And uh, I had never been... I'd been out of the country. I'd been to Canada. I'd been to like the West Indies, but not to like the fucking other side of the world, South Asia. Like I just got off the plane in fucking Delhi and it was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You have truly traveled to the other side of the world. Um, But it was great. It was like one of the best trips, but it was like definitely informed my politics because it was like you're like okay other people don't all live exactly like in like the suburbs in a fucking house with like a two-car garage and like you know the streets ain't all paved right (laughs) right (laughs) infrastructure like you know like in india like i at least back then it was like you know you'd walk past something you'd be like that looks like it's like from 1945 and you're like that is from 1945. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like a fan in the airport or like part of the airport or whatever. And it was just like, it was eye-opening, you know, to say the least, you know. Um, my friend's dad was like, worked for the government, like, but not like, was like some pencil pusher. Like he, I couldn't even tell you to this day what he did, but we had like a driver. Oh, um, wow. The entire Jeez. time. Yeah. <laughs> when you in like pictures of india at least back then there's these white cars called ambassadors um that we were like kind of shuttled around in in the city when we would go like from city to city it would be like a convoy of like jeeps and like the local dignitaries of that town would like come out with like a basket of sweets and like stuff for like his dad and like walk him around like the town and then like have breakfast and then we would go do whatever we were gonna do <laughs> oh wow yeah that wow. like that doesn't sound like the normal in- indian visit experience no it was not the normal trip to india like when we would go to like temples it was like the the like priest dudes would come out with like the local dignitaries and like take us to like a special way through the temple <laughs> i was like what is going on here wow but it was amazing it was a beautiful trip like i, I yeah i you know, we would walk down the street in, like, his hometown and, like, somebody he, like, knew from high school would be like, you got to come in. And, like, that person's mom would, like, fix us, like, whatever kind of food she had to, like, offer. And, like, we'd have to sit there and eat for, like, 20 minutes and they'd talk. And we'd, like, walk 10 feet down the road and some other guy that knew him from elementary school would be like, oh, you got to come in. My mom. And, like, she would, like, fix us a meal and we'd, like, eat. <laughs> it was just, like, a 12-hour day. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> for you know a month in india and it was really you know formative um because i came back to boston and that was what ralph nader the duke um running for president and mm. that was the first time i voted so maybe I'm, my years are off but somewhere around there um and that was the beginning of me being like kind of a super leftist kind of <laughs> type person yeah um yeah so that pushed you over the edge focus around that time do you guys know that book it's like a kurt vonnegut book but it what is the book hocus pocus yeah i know it but i have not read it yeah same with a 
Eugene uh, Debs quote, and I read that book, and I, that Eugene Debs quote, what is it? If there's a lower class, I'm in it. If there's a, a criminal element, I'm of it. While there's a soul in prison, I am not free. And it, it just, like, blew me away, and I just got into, like, Debs, and I got into, like, you know, history of, like, workers in the country. And, like, that was, like, a period in Boston where you would, could, like, literally walk down the street and, like, uh, like Howard Zinn or fucking Noam Chomsky would walk. Right. Like I yeah. saw Noam Chomsky at MIT. I saw Howard Zinn speak. I think at MIT, I saw Cornell West speak in that period. Um, Ralph Nader. You know, it was just like kind of like this. It was just that early Bush years kind of. It was a weird mishmash. Like they were trying to find a unified voice on the left, yeah. and there were voices. And they kept yeah. getting shut down, which would sound yeah. familiar to yeah. our current moment, right? It's the same fucking shit. It's crazy. Yeah. The more things change, the it's more crazy. they stay. And they're so good at it. They're so yeah. fucking good it's at amazing. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's wild. So, but yeah, that was I wanted good. to ask... Go... Did you go, go on? No. Oh, I was not I wanted to ask about... I wanted to ask about the weed trimming in California... And specifically about what it was like to be a young person under the Bush regime, because was, I was under the Bush regime too, but like I was a kid, I was super conscious, but yeah. it didn't affect me, right? I wasn't an adult. Yeah, it's crazy because it's, I'll tell you what's interesting about that. It's interesting to see where, like, where weed and everything has come to now. Because back then, um, again, it's a, something that's kind of like, uh, I'm not like maybe like jokingly like in the blood my uh uncle moved out to california he was just talking to him the other day in six uh, 79 78 ish mm-hmm. and he had a friend up in garberville that was like a real fucking og i mean you're talking about throwing in the 70s um, yeah right up there super illegal um but when it was just like a fucking real like wild 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 fucking west because when i moved out there it was like wild wild west right (laughs) (laughs) it's still fucking wild as fuck out there don't get it fucking wrong like that emerald triangle is no joke um but yeah so during the bush years it was crazy i mean it was just absolutely insane it was like there was it was like more gray market than it is now because you could there was allegedly uh medical growing you know right mm-hmm. there was allegedly regulations around said medical growing but it was kind of different everywhere and kind of super gray like there was like already kind of that dispensary in san francisco but it was still getting raided all the time that original one i can't remember what it's called uh like harborside like the dude with like the he always had like a pork pie hat on with like two long pigtails, kind of like uh, Willie Nelson style. <laughs> but he would have sounds like, about right. Um, and they would just get busted all the time, but they were kind of like real activists about it. And they and uh, so yeah, that was the time. It was like people were growing crazy amounts of weed, but it was like uh, at the same time you you would get a phone call, you'd be like at somewhere at a grow, and you get a phone call like. Like, we just saw, like, seven black SUVs go up, like, such and such road. And people from that neighborhood would have to, like, in ditch in some fucking way or another. The first <laughs> year I went out there, I still swear to God I have, like, PTSD from it. 
um i got like my friends were like oh this this guy he's like an old hippie he's like real old school he's cool he like needs some people up in this town just a little bit away i'm gonna admit all the pertinent information just because i'm still weird like of course course. (laughs) yeah yeah no worries been out to like this land you know there's like probably like four of us that are gonna work no there was like probably six of us then right like four guys and two girls and we stopped at this one spot and they're like okay this is where the girls trim i was like okay this is a little weird all right and then they drive us up like the side of a fucking mountain like to like it like looks like you're suddenly like you (laughs) went to like fucking like bolivia or something you know like it's just like Mm -hmm. Where is fucking civilization? We're driving to the middle of fucking nowhere. And we finally, like, get up this place. And it's, like, a little more, like, turfed out. There's, like, a cabin. There's, like, a big, like, kind of, like, Quonset hut kind of building. And then, like, kind of, like, a warehouse kind of tin kind of building. And they're, like, you go in there. And it's just, like, racked up with weed. Just jammed with fucking weed. Like, there's, like, six dudes we're going to trim for, like, the next two weeks or whatever there's like one kid cooking for us um it's like these two kids from chicago these two dudes from england um like a dude from israel no two dudes from israel and me and this other american dude (laughs) (laughs) and it was like some shit where one day we're trimming right and you just hear like the sound right and you're like what is that and then no question it's the sound of a helicopter and you're like, huh. And then the helicopter's getting closer. And you're like, that's closer than I've ever heard a helicopter in my fucking entire life. Like, I've never... And I've, like, been to air shows where there was a fucking helicopter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> helicopter is fucking on top of this fucking building at this point. Like, you can see the, like, little building starting to, like, shake a little from the fucking helicopter. And one of the dudes gets up and like cracks the door and looks and the helicopter is just hovering above the fucking building we're in that is rammed with probably 500 pounds of like marijuana in process. Jesus. (laughs) And then uh, we all just sit there and stare at each other and the helicopter gets quieter and quieter and quieter and just goes fucking away. There was this kid there, one of the kids from Chicago running the scene and he had a backpack on. The fucking entire time. It's like a fucking 7 a.m. I see him. He's got a backpack on. Nine at night, he's got a backpack on. Anytime, he had a backpack on. And I'm like, why do you always wear that backpack? What's in it? He's like, I was at a scene like a month ago that got raided. And he's like, I was taking a shower. And everybody, everything was cool. And he's like, and I came out of the shower and flip-flops and a towel. And there was black SUVs everywhere. And I started running. He's like, and I ran into the woods. And I kept running. And there was a helicopter following me. Holy <laughs> shit. Run. He would look up and there would be a helicopter. And he'd run and run and run. And he'd look up and the helicopter was still there. He got into a hollow tree and stood up in there in a towel. He had lost his flip-flops at this point. He said it turned from day to night and the helicopter stopped searching. He hung out in the tree until like morning came. He said he like almost froze to death. He said he he like walked out until he found a fire road and he's just in a towel, mind you, barefoot, in a towel, has spent the night mm. overnight in the woods. 
and he said he walked and walked and he said finally a pickup truck came along and he flagged it down and it was some logger who gave him a ride to town and now he wears a backpack with everything he needs to like survive if he runs holy <laughs> shit dude Oh, that's, he's got to go back. Yeah, he's got to go back. That's one of the craziest like, fucking wow, stories. Okay. That's insane. Yeah. So that was that was the early years of that. You know, it was like fucking crazy. It was literally like you were like, it's cool. I'm like making four hundred dollars a day to trim this week, right? <laughs> but it could well. Go- wrong at any moment you know and it was like and it was because it was the end of the bush era during some of it it was like they were hyper prosecuted right yeah it was like some kind of urgency to it you know like they knew it wasn't going to be conservative and they knew a democrat was going to be elected yeah yeah and they were like we got to fucking roast this shit and make a fucking example and then yeah it was like it changed and i mean you couldn't even yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable to me now, though. <laughs> yeah, because, I, I mean, if you think about it, that wasn't even that long ago. Like, you know, long ago at all. 14, 15 years, or, or, you know, maybe a little bit more than that. But, like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, just, I mean, yeah, it's Georgia's going to be the last state in the Union to legalize, probably. But, you know, like. Just the, uh, no, no. I don't know. There's other states I, down there. I don't know, man. Tennessee has medical now. Like, there's a few other, you know, a few other like super I'm red places. Kentucky and Mississippi. You would think, right? But like Oklahoma. Has yeah, Oklahoma now, does right? too. Which is like that's like unfathomable to me because when I went to Kansas City the first time. My friends told me a story about them driving to fucking Oklahoma, some fucking car full of perfectly good white boys, and they were basically like, if you can avoid it in your fucking life, don't ever go to Oklahoma. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was like, not okay. I think that's good advice. <laughs> yeah, I was like, when I saw that they had medical in Oklahoma, I was like, I, I must be misreading this. Nope. This is fucking insane. It's I have crazy. like a mortal fear of this, the state of Oklahoma. Right. <laughs> It's one of the few states I haven't been to. Like, I think it's only Oklahoma, South Dakota, and North Dakota I haven't been to. And, like, I'm not going to Oklahoma. No. <laughs> oh, me neither. You should probably avoid the Dakotas <laughs> also. I've never been, but just, you know. Yeah, right? Maybe, like, oh I don't know. There might be a little, bit of, a little bit of goodness. This is, like, one of the most experiences ever. <laughs> <laughs> one of the most informative experiences like have you guys ever driven across country yeah like it's so wild i think most americans realize a how much of the country is like completely fucking empty like anybody who says anything about overpopulation this country has never her neighborhood because that's a fucking insane fucking thought like this country is so fucking vast and 80 percent fucking empty um and then that, like, most people, I would say, live in a fucking trailer park or, like, a double-wide trailer on, like, a private piece of land. Once you get outside of any major suburban area on either that is basically on the East Coast or the West Coast. Right. Because once you're in, I mean, fuck, man. I can't even think of the places like Wyoming, uh when I drove across Arizona, like New Mexico, once you're not in a major area, it's just like sort of some sort of industrial processing plant, a series of a couple of houses, 
a store, a series of double wide drives. Yeah. <laughs> and then vast expanse of nothing. Yeah. I mean, ha- like, that's like yeah. a large amount of the United States. How many states know? have more cows than people? You know, like, there, there's a handful at least. Right. And it's like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah. I mean, that's the truly insane thing about the United States. It's like, it's kind of ruled by people who live, who not many people who live in a giant empty area. Right. <laughs> probably never met left that giant empty <laughs> oh dude yep <laughs> oh god and they're mad at people who live in cram populaces who've never been to those giant empty areas right <laughs> oh. god bless america Shit, peter oh, it's, god, it's this beautiful. has been a really fun <laughs> um, so i was gonna ask you one more I, feel like uh, I don't know, hearing the stories clothes. and everything has been awesome. <laughs> I think we've talked about clothes. We've talked about clothes with every thing, yeah. I think. Okay. okay. Yeah, dude. You know? If you, but if you have more to say about clothes, then we are happy to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as far as, as, far as this the goes. The one that I was going to ask you. Go on. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was just going to say, like, you yeah. know, that. I feel like Connor and I both had the idea that this is about clothes, at least peripherally, but like it's kind of okay. like the accoutrement of the interview that there's clothing talk. Like it's it's about the okay. person. It's more the so. intersection of all of it. Oh yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. I think yeah, it's well. the intersection of all of it, and so like I don't want to talk about uh, Alan Foster's how to dress a man. You know, I I want to talk about right how Peter. Right likes to wear a button-up shirt while he's tattooing. You know, like, that's the kind of shit that I want to get right, into. Right, right. How Peter, how Peter goes mountain climbing in cat. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's, the, that's the info that we wanted. Yep. Um, and so I'm going to ask you now, as a man with many plaits, uh-huh. what is your favorite plaid? <laughs> Ooh, I mean, I... I would be what is it? Uh, black watch. Uh, ah, mine too. Yeah, no contest. No contest. Good call, dude. That's like kind of like no. There's that's like my that's no competition. Like a, nah. Yeah, that's like a family inside joke in my family. Like we all wear that. Like that's <laughs> so good. It has its own name. Yeah, right? I mean yeah, it, it's yeah. just black watch in particular is such an easy thing to wear. Like it goes with oh, it goes yeah. with basically everything. It doesn't make you look like a fucking seventies game show host. It's just yeah, uh, you yeah, know, no, no, it's just no, solid, no. man. I, I think it's understated. Would, it's understated. It's very strong. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I would be in the Black Watch camp as my favorite. Also, no one can argue. No. Um. Well, we want to thank you a ton for being on the show. I don't want to take you away from your life. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that this has been a very, very good interview. And um, I'm sure that you will see us around. I was going to give you a chance to pitch whatever you wanted. I don't really have If you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, shout, shout out to your, uh, your tattoo Instagram at least. You can spend the most contests, you know. I think that's kind of that's kind of the thing that worries me in menswear these days. I feel like when I started in menswear, it was like really oriented towards. It wasn't about, you know, this is a look at this rich guy's uh, wardrobe, <laughs> which I sometimes feel like it is. Now. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah. like I, 
it started out with things like put this on and an affordable wardrobe and that kind of thing and it really was about like street etiquette um uh, of course like, it's about like thrifting you know and there was some transition point um where it kind of just became like pictures of the like some like rich like industrialists like wardrobe and it's like yeah well if you could spend you know eighty thousand dollars a year on clothing you're gonna look <clears throat> probably pretty fucking fantastic i won't lie um but i don't think that's very fun you know no, dude. <laughs> not at all no it's very like uh democratic you know or very fair um and i think that that's like that's like what i like to see in menswear is like people who are like you know they look sharp as fuck but it's not just because they went and like rammed up their credit card and are gonna have to sell it in six months because they fucking really couldn't afford it to begin with. <laughs> exactly um, that's my final thought <laughs> into it into it yeah long live well matt in an affordable wardrobe <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Yeah, which is a great blog, which is a great blog. A cute style. Is oh, dude, one. yeah. I, I, I haven't looked at that dude's stuff in forever, but he was always super chill on style for him. So I need yeah. to revisit. And just a good idea. Here's an outfit for under 100 bucks. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, right. Peter, what's your uh, what's your tattoo? Well, cool. It's well, it was excellent to, to hear from you, man. Yeah. Cheers. Anytime. Absolutely. Signing off. Yes. Ciao.